Hello. Before we get started with the show, I wanted to talk to you about uh, something that's near and dear to my heart, and that is sleep. I travel a great deal. I travel all around the world. I just got back from Kiev, crossing the Moldovan border. And the thing I always look forward to is getting back to my uh, king-size bed with my MyPillow mattress topper installed on the top. Now, I like a firm mattress because uh, I have back problems from uh, a long time ago uh, playing sports in high school. I love my firm mattress with the MyPillow mattress topper on top. You get the firmness, but also it's like sleeping on a firm cloud. I really can't explain it, but it is the most comfortable sleep I have ever experienced in my life, and I can't wait to get back to it every time I travel. If you go to MyPillow right now with promo code CDM, you can get a 50% discount on the mattress toppers. Uh, Mike Lindell is giving out amazing discounts right now. Uh, get them while they last. Use promo code CDM at MyPillow.com and get the MyPillow mattress topper, the best sleep you will ever experience. Thank you very much. Now on to our guest. So tonight on uh, our global conversations, and we're turning to Australia for a lot of different reasons, because we know that the pandemic, whatever you want to call this, uh, has some larger questions. And as we have through our American Conversations uh, show, spoken to a lot of doctors and vax injured uh, across America, but we wanted to broaden our conversations globally because what is happening in America and is also happening in other countries. And we're taking a deep dive on also what's happening internationally at the WHO um, General Assembly this month. And I want to welcome Dr. Robin Cosford from Australia. Thank you for joining us tonight. Hello, Christine. It's an honor to be here. Great to be well, speaking to you. It, it's, it's great to have you on because uh, you are an inter integrative, is that the term I should use? Integrative yeah. doctor. Uh, and you've been practicing for decades. And you have, uh, you're also a professor, honorary professor, and you have uh, believe in the Hippocratic Oath. You believe in the doctor patient relationship. And you are now speaking out because you have surrendered your license so that the medical boards and the state cannot go after you. I mean, Robin, I, I'm honored that, you, that you're joining us because I think it's really important for people to understand that good doctors need to be protected. And if they're not, then the patient loses out. So tell us, yeah. first of all, tell us about your background. It's important yeah, that the audience you. understand. Yeah. So uh, I, I'm rather fortunate in that I'm one of a, a handful in Australia, doctors in Australia, who was trained in uh, natural therapies in naturopathy before I finished medicine. It just happened that that's how things worked for me. So I came out of medicine with an honours degree and and as a trained naturopath, I started physician's training, but then had, I, I'm a mum with five kids, so I had, had another couple of kids. And uh, so that, that meant physician's training wasn't going to work. Mm -hmm. So I went straight instead into integrative medicine. And so I've been 35 years uh, in practice. as a. So in Australia, we call it integrative medicine. In the US, it would be a naturopathic physician. Right. Um, but I'm fully trained in medicine and, you know, naturopathy. So fully trained in the both. So I moved uh, straight into that field and started lecturing for the Australasian College of Nutritional and Environmental Medicine, which had been set up by Professor Ian Brighthope, who some of you over there may have heard of. He's one of Australia's top, well, he is Australia's top nutritional and environmental professor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I started lecturing for them to postgraduate doctors and other professionals and then into medical conferences, nutritional-based you know, type medical conferences. 
and then started doing research with the University of Newcastle. So at that time, back in the, the 1990s, University of Newcastle was, was pretty much leading the world with chronic fatigue syndrome research and linked up with, um, uh, with, with your other top, Cecile uh, Jardin, linked up with um, Garth Nicholson, li linked up with other top world researchers at that time into chronic fatigue syndrome. So we were, we were looking at uh, a lot of markers, but the one that kept, that became really key to me was the patterns of gut bacteria. So at that time, which is what we have heard about this in the in the course of COVID's uh, journey for the last two years, and also the exploring past vaccinations that have caused injuries to children, and because of the multiple uh, vaccinations that are given simultaneously, and the gut becomes sort of it, it, it's almost like the pathway to figuring out the cause and effect by some of these past vaccinations. Is, is that correct? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Look, they, the gut is literally central in our body physically. It's central to our immune system, central to our nervous system, uh, because there are more gut bacteria in our gut than there are cells in our body by a factor of some 50, 100 or fold or more. So there's more of them than there is of us, literally. Mm -hmm. And so if you have the wrong bacteria in there, they are busy producing their own metabolites fed by what we eat. When we eat, the first thing it does is feed our gut bacteria, not us. Mm -hmm. So if we're eating wrong food, we're feeding the wrong bacteria, these bacteria are making all these byproducts. It affects our metabolism. It first affects our immune system because 80% nearly of the immune system lines the gut. It's called the gut-associated lymphoid tissue. It affects our nervous system because the gut the enteric nervous system, the gut nervous system is secondary really only to the brain. And it shares a lot of common messages, a lot of common neurotransmitters. So stuff going on in the gut is going to affect our nervous system, is going to affect our brain. So you see, start to see all these phenomenal interactions. And so if we're injecting, so, so when we normally acquire some kind of infection, we breathe it in or we swallow it. So right. it comes in the respiratory tract or into the gut. And that's where most of our immune system is geared, to the respiratory tract or to the gut. But when we take an injection, it doesn't come that way. When we take an injection, we are actually activating an entirely different part of the immune system, the part of the immune system that shouldn't be activated until like the second round after the infection, if the infection makes it mm -hmm. past the gut wall or, or the respiratory tract. So, so this is the problem or a major problem. There are other issues, of course, with injections, but this is one of the problems that it's not coming in by the same route that the actual infection that we're seeking to protect against comes from. So, so, let, so let's back up to uh, 2020. Uh, at that point in time, you had not surrendered your, your uh, medical license. What was your first reaction having been in the field and a researcher and into natural medicine, for lack of a better word? And, and what was your first, your first reaction in early 2020 when this was breaking out? Because there were some very draconian uh, shutdowns in That's the right. provinces. Exactly. In and I was talking to friends of mine and I, I just I, I couldn't believe that it was so draconian at that point in time. 
Yeah, absolutely. Having been in the field for a long time, and, and I'm very interested in history and medical history, you know, as well. So when I saw that the, their approach was very much one of mask and lockdown, then uh, I was immediately deeply concerned because I knew, again, because I'm a lecturer, I'm used to researching. So I'm used to immediately going to the actual source data and seeing what, what's the truth on these things. So as soon as this was the first thing was reported before March 2020, December uh, 19, January 20, when they started to, to report it, I went to the actual first published papers that, that were available and read them and looked at them to see what is going on here. I looked at the first places that the outbreaks were occurring, Wuhan, Lombardy, Belgium. I looked at uh, New York. I looked at those places and thought, what is our commonality here? What is going on aside yeah. from just a reported virus? So right. it was very interesting to look because there were I, there were two other maps, if you like, that I, I looked at at the same time. And, and what was very interesting was that if you overlaid the, the high incidence initially, the places of high incidence with these other two maps, the correlation was, was quite significant. So I knew straight away there was more going on here than, than met the eye. So as this has as this journey, this global journey has progressed, what what's your take now looking back? I mean, I, I as a journalist, you know, there was information given to me in early 2020, and I didn't really understand the significance of it at the time, but as time has gone on, my analysis has shifted, my enlightening has exploded in terms of information that was given to me early in early 2020. Robin, do you do you feel that you, as somebody who's on the inside of the medical field, has a larger, has you know, more transparent pieces to the puzzle today? I think most people on the inside of the medical field don't have any of the transparent pieces because most of the people inside the medical field are simply only reading what the system is giving them. And while they're giving, while that's all they're exposing themselves to, and that's all they're reading, it's a, a highly, um, for want of a better word, I'll say filtered, but it's beyond filtered. It is um, simply the, the narrative that your professionals who are within the system are getting is simply not true. It is simply not what the true narrative is. Um, and so again, because I've been in the field of natural therapies for a long time, I've been well aware of background issues around the, the let's say, the edging in of the pharmaceutical industry and where it was seeking to be taking progressively more and more control. Mm -hmm. I was well aware of, of numbers of other mm, uh, political type issues behind it. So I was aware of other things in the background. But what certainly, as this started to unfold more and more, it really did force me to, to dig deeper into that, to look a lot more closely at what actually were these connections. Uh, and because it was obvious from, a, from my perspective that what was being put out wasn't true. I knew that masking wasn't effective. I knew that quarantine uh, was, and quarantine of the healthy, mm -hmm. totally different thing to quarantining someone who's acutely sick. Mm -hmm. Someone who's acutely sick, yes, we do need to quarantine. You don't want them coughing and spluttering over everybody else. But that's a totally different situation to locking down and quarantining healthy populations. So, so I knew straight away there were other things that, that were at play here. Uh, and even when you then correlate the simple thing that the, in the timing of the lockdowns, what else happened? In the timing of the lockdowns, while people were locked in their homes, what did they do? They rolled out 5G. 
they rolled out facial recognition cameras. That happened in Sydney, that happened in my local suburb, happened down in Melbourne. So, so there were a lot of other things that were going on behind the scenes in the same time as while they've got the public focused on, oh dear, here's this dreaded disease that was only a dreaded disease because the original modelling by Neil Ferguson was out by many, many factors, as we know. And we didn't we didn't know that at the time. We now know that today. It was actually known fairly quickly. A number of other scientists quite quickly started reporting that the modelling was fallacious and that he actually did have a history of uh, incorrect modelling. So it was actually to qualify that we in the press didn't know. Uh, you know, right. We in the press did not know. I mean, th there was it was kind of unusual in the United States because COVID happened during our presidential campaign. So the, the presidential campaign turned into a COVID campaign. And this is not to make excuses for any of us in the press, but for those of us who cover politics, but yeah. not necessarily medicine, we found ourselves covering medicine in the middle yes. of a crisis because it yes. was a presidential campaign. I mean, if it had not been a if it had not been a presidential year, you probably wouldn't have a lot of political reporters covering it as the top story. I mean, that's yes. so we had we had uh, it was fortuitous for the other side, but it but it certainly didn't help us. And we missed some stories early on. I mean, I can admit that information yes. given to me, I didn't fully understand maybe until maybe four no. months, four months later. No, of course not. And mm -hmm. and that was the whole that's been the whole thing of this whole politicization of medicine that by by quickly throwing the politics over medicine, the actual medical issues, true medical issues based on real science from those who actually knew their stuff was not able to be got out. It was the, the political version of medicine that was that was speaking, which is not the same thing. So let me let me ask you as a doctor, okay, who, who's done alternative medicine for decades, you, I bet you're not as shocked as some people are in terms of the, the the mask that's been ripped off of the medical industry in terms of the level of control, corruption, control of truth, control of facts, the lack of science. I mean, are, are do I have that right? I mean, you're, you're not as shocked. You have all of that right. It's just been heightened. COVID has exposed it and heightened it, but it's been there. In, in a much more subtle form for a long time. We can track it back to, to even in, in the US where Rockefeller took over the, the training of the medical uh, programs through the universities. You can you can track it back even to there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, certainly there's been a, a over many years a progressively more and more uh, control, suppression of anything that doesn't toe the line completely with the pharmaceutical industry. And the idea that everything has to be drug treated and everything. So when, when doctors go through, young doctors go through medical school now, mm -hmm. uh, everything is taught in terms of like algorithms. It's like you find what your disease is and you do that by following a precise algorithm, come out with your disease name at the end and what's the drug that fits that disease box. And that's how you're taught. You're not taught to think about first principles about, well, what's actually going on in the physiology of this person or the pathology? What's caused it? What are their lifestyle factors? What what can we look at here? What are the other preventive factors? How can we shift this? Doing those sorts of things. And yet the facts are, the data is very solid that more than two thirds, or certainly two thirds at least of all the modern diseases everyone's dealing with are lifestyle related diseases. You shift or, envi or environmental. 
Yeah, well, lifestyle and environmental, exactly, mm -hmm. uh, which which kind of run together. You you shift you shift that, do things into that, and it's amazing the healing capacity that is locked in in um, these awesome bodies that have that God created for us. You know, it's just so, phenomenal. So so. What is it that you are trying to accomplish now? Because you're sacrificing <clears throat> your practice of medicine to really speak out so they don't have a bullet on your back and they can take away your medical license. I mean, like in the United States and other countries, <clears throat> explain to our audience about the pressure that good doctors are under uh, and how the I don't know even how to explain this because I didn't know a lot about the medical boards and the power of the medical boards going after good doctors until the last few years. But explain how that works in Australia. Yeah, it's it's been quite an eye opener, even within Australia for, for doctors in Australia who haven't run into the system before. So for those of us who've been doing integrative medicine for a number of years, it's not a new thing. We've known how the system works because over the years they have systematically gone for numbers of integrative doctors simply because they were doing something that other doctors didn't want them to be doing not because they'd hurt patients or injured patients or anything like that but simply because they weren't following standard protocol which is more the germ rockefeller exactly universities give them a pill that's um, right put them on prescriptions exactly give them a shot Right. And, and yeah, you were you were looking at it more right. holistic. Arena. That's right. So, look, we even had a situation not long ago in Australia where an orthopedic surgeon, and I, I think I can freely say his name now because it's been through the press and everything, a Dr. Gary Fetke, where an orthopedic surgeon recognised that diet made a big difference to the arthritis in his patients. We started giving his patients before he operated a series of, of some time on a change of diet to see what would happen before he went to surgery and found that he could fix quite a number of his patients. So he got into trouble for prescribing diet because it happened to be helping his patients. Who complained about it? The Australian Dietetics Association because he was acting outside of his training. Oh, my goodness. And, uh, and so he got suspended. Wow. Successfully has been able to get that reversed. But, but this just illustrates the point that, that in Australia we have this situation where doctors have been corralled into this box that says all you are allowed to do is be prescription writers, you know, pin-pushing prescription writers for these pills. That's all, and, and these injections, and, and you have to push that, and that's all you're allowed to do. So doctors who try to operate outside of that are targeted, and numbers have been. So that heightened uh, as COVID started to roll out. And in March 21, just immediately ahead of the commencement of Australia's vaccination injection protocols, uh, a letter was issued to all health practitioners by APRA. Now, APRA is the Australian Health Practitioner Regulation Authority, which is funded by government, but is a totally independent body, answerable to no one. Is this is this like the CDC or the FDA in, in the United States? Because uh, we, we CDC is probably more like TG, oh, FDA is probably more like our TGA, Therapeutics Goods Act. They monitor the drugs. Mm -hmm. We've got another group, ATAGI, Australian Therapeutics uh, Advice Guidelines for Immunisation. They were set up just for COVID. We've got APRA, which regulates all health practitioners' licences. So this is a purely licensing body. Okay. And we've got the medical council as well. So, so if you make it through APRA, 
then the medical council can still nail you. They also are unanswerable to anyone. So basically, it's a kangaroo court system here in Australia. Who appoints the people to those medical boards in Australia? A lot of times in the states, the governors will appoint somebody to a medical board, and they are the—they're the people who go after the doctor's licenses. Yeah, I don't think they're governor appointed. We're still trying to work out some of them. It's—it almost seems to be you're kind of just allowed to apply, and they almost seem to be self-appointed. We're, we're really still trying to work out exactly how these systems work. Mm -hmm. um, the key point is they are not practicing clinicians. The people in these positions are not practicing clinicians, and many of them are not even medically trained. Mm -hmm. So you have people in those kind of positions telling those who are at the forefront of things, who are actually, you know, on, on the clinic face, say this is how you have to practice, is it, it's ludicrous. You know, it's, 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 it's also very dangerous, irresponsible, and it's an incompetent system if you have people judging doctors who have patient-doctor I mean, patient relationships um, that are looking at the full picture of somebody's health, which includes their behavior. Exactly. Making decisions on whether doctors should approach it like that. I, I mean, I, it, to me, it, it is so crazy that they would have the judges who have no relative knowledge of the health industry or the medical industry or even medical training. Yeah, it, it is. It's just a ludicrous situation where you can see it is simply about control. And, and in numbers of these cases, we are able to track their connections through into the pharmaceutical industry. And indeed, the head of Australia's medical, of the New South Wales Medical Council, we have exactly that situation. So, what about the lobbying efforts? Here in the United States, uh, the elephant in the room on Capitol Hill is the Pharmaceutical Manufacturing Research Association, which is the, 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 the trade association, sort of like on the federal level, that spends hundreds of millions of dollars. It's funded by the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, they give to campaign donations and they do heavy lobbying on Capitol Hill. Do you have, and my understanding is that exists as well in yeah. Australia. Yeah, we, we do have that same thing in Australia. And we also have the crazy situation, I, and I think this might be the same in the US, where our Therapeutics Goods Act, our TGA, is funded by the pharmaceutical industry. So, our FDA, our Federal Drug Administration, were, they, they, they dump all the documents to, to justify what they want. About 50% of it is paid for by pharma. Um, yeah. You know, so you, when they do the clinical trials, in a lot of instances, the pharmaceutical companies have a vested interest, whether it's a direct funding or whether it's an ownership, in some of these places where the clinical trials are being held. Yeah, yeah it's a racket. It is. A all, racket. All it is and, and it's the old story, you know, follow the money trail. Uh, mm -hmm. And so this is, this is the big problem we've got, that there is huge money. As, as you know, you know, the, the figures for the pharmaceutical industry, there's huge money involved in the pharmaceutical industry right and uh, it has nothing to do whatsoever with health and wellness it's it's a, a profit-making business it's got nothing to do with health and wellness so uh, what is it you're trying to do now in, in terms uh, in terms of speaking i mean you've given lectures for decades you, you've spoken out before but but now you're really out of the gate you're like the kentucky derby because you're exactly you've, you've, you've given you've you're you're just bareback. You're, you've given up the saddle okay. to run the Kentucky Derby, right? That's exactly it. I'm I'm just out there after it. So, it's it's several things that I want to do here. Uh, I do want to be speaking that you know, and 
really bring to people's awareness the truth of what is happening, that it is nothing like what people have been told. It simply is not. Even just the simple thing of masks, I still see people walking around wearing masks thinking that somehow they're protecting themselves and somehow they're protecting others. But the fact is, the beautiful uh, study just published in Curious, 35 uh, European countries, 604 million people over a six-month period in the European winter clearly shows, clearly no benefit whatsoever for mask wearing. And instead, their, their closing statement and their, their actual, when you look at the stats, 0.6%, which actually equivalents to a 60% increase, looks like mask wearing actually increases your risk of dying from COVID. So clearly does not protect, but it looks like it increases your risk of dying. And yet this is something that is still being, you know, pushed out there as they, they need it being done. Quarantining. We've got evidence coming now, a just re recently published paper by a professor, uh, Gigi Foster, I think it is, an economics professor in Australia. Economically, she showed uh, just on her stats yeah. that the, the quarantine effect has been 36 times more deleterious than beneficial. Um, Mm -hmm. These are the truths. These are the actual science that all these measures that they have brought in ostensibly for health have nothing to do with health whatsoever, but purely have to do with gov increasing governmental control. Mm -hmm. There was an interesting study in 2007 in Australia where they asked, evidently, they asked people uh, about compliance. Would they comply with mask wearing if they were asked? 58% of people said that if the government asked them, if the government asked them, that they would be uh, they would be willing or very willing to be compliant with wearing a mask. 58% of people, only 8% said no. Um, it's incredible so, to me. It's crazy, isn't it? And it so is, it's like it's, the it's, you know, the, it, it seems to me that there's an awful lot of smart people who were who self-expose themselves to be actually dumb uh, because they didn't want the responsibility to look at the data. They didn't want to do the research, but also, and, and this is something that has to be addressed. They trusted their government leaders to tell them the truth That's right. without looking at the possibility of any corruption which they knew that politics can be a you know a bag money game all right prior to covid but for some strange reason they seem to have amnesia about it during the covid crisis yeah Ab absolutely and there's a great old saying isn't there you know power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely so it's like and we saw this in victoria with with our delightful dictator dan uh, Daniel Andrews, for those who don't know who I'm referring to. Oh, tell us, tell the audience about Daniel. He, he, he really, he, he oh. was, he was, so, I didn't even, I never heard of him until, until COVID. Yeah. So, so Daniel Andrews is the premier of Victoria who introduced the most draconian measures, uh, incredible levels of lockdown curfews even, which just destroyed Victorian culture, society, small businesses, health, so many, many things. But here was this thing of absolute power where basically he set himself up the equivalent of a dictator and anything he said was just mm -hmm. carried out. Mm -hmm. uh, 
police, we had police raiding. We've got videos of police raiding a pregnant woman's house for crying out loud. You know, it's like the things that were being done and, and in, it was in Victoria under Dictator Dan stuff that you might have heard of Monica Smith, now Australia's well-known now Monica Smith was jailed. Mm -hmm. 21 days, I think it was 21 days, forgive me, Monica, if I've got that wrong, but 21 days isolation for a young woman. What for? She was videoing a protest. My goodness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, it was, it was, it was, you know, some citizens' moral courage really shone, really outshined a lot of the yeah. government officials in, in different parts Absolutely. of the world. But so, so now, now that you've given yourself this freedom, what is, I mean, do you see a light at the end of the tunnel here? I mean, you, your, your elections are coming up. I'm hearing people are waking up slowly, but they are waking up in Australia. Do you see a light here? I think that we, we have to always hold hope. They're, the light always is shining, and ultimately the light will shine and overtake the darkness. Ultimately it will. I guess the question really is how much more is going to happen before enough people do wake up, before enough people start to shine their own internal light and, and you know, really do wake. And we, and we rise up again as a human race, as a human species, with compassion and love in our hearts, you know, for each other. We have to hold hope. I hold hope. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. You know, and, and we, we have to keep shining the light. We have to keep speaking the truth. Truth, the, good, the beauty about truth is that it has its own way. You know, mm. truth has its own way. It will always out. Might take a little while, but mm -hmm. it will always out. And so, I, I guess I, I do take great hope from that. I look around the world and see some phenomenal organisations that are set up and are moving. Some phenomenal individuals taking stand. I mean, uh, I just take my ta hat off to people like Dr. Dolores Cahill. You know, like Dr. Robert Malone. You know, Robert F. Kennedy, they phenomenal people around the world who are championing the truth uh, at phenomenal personal cost, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, I, I do hold hope. And I think we all we all just keep pushing. We it's this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. It don't no, it's not. It's not a sprint at all. Quickly. Um, they've been working at it for too long. The global mm -hmm. elite, the ones who were really behind all this, they've been at it for too long, a long time. It's not just been a few years or even a few decades. We're talking hundreds of years. You know, they've, they've been, this has been a long, long generational thing that's been going down. So we're not going to nail it quickly. But I think, I think the first thing is for people to be prepared to open their eyes to the possibility that, that the medical messaging we've been getting is incorrect. Mm -hmm. And if, if we can start people there with, hey, masks, the fact is masks are not protective. The fact is quarantine has measured, and we can measure on so many ways in which quarantine has done harm. The fact is that these injections do not stop transmission of the disease. They do not protect you from the disease. And indeed, the evidence is coming out that instead they actually increase your risks well, because because your autoimmune system can actually diminish after these shots. Exactly. And, that, and that's and so you have something that doesn't prevent transmissibility, doesn't prevent the, the disease, uh, decreases your autoimmune system. Then the question is, why is it on the market? Because clearly it's for commercial purposes. That's exactly it. Commercial and, and you know, we, we can look at other. They, they must have 
known and, and they, they did know that these vaccines were going to damage the immune system. They did know that the injections, they're not vaccines by any definition. So we'll, I'll stop saying that. These injections damage the immune system. They've got, they, they had their data on that. They did know that they disrupt the cardiovascular system with, with clotting, uh, with, my, with inflammation, you know, the myocarditis. They did know that. They did know, and in fact, there are those who argue that it was deliberately part of the engineered spike protein in the injections. They did know it's going to affect the immune, the uh, sorry, the nervous system, and they did know again from some of the things that are actually in the uh, the spike protein that we're going to see acceleration of cancers. So there's there's numbers of things that that they knew, they must have known from their data would happen and yet they're still being rolled out so you do have to once you get past that first question of going hey what we've been told is not correct another booster is not going to help me in fact it's going to increase my risk of something going wrong once you get past that then you've got to start asking bigger questions well if it's not for our health what is it about mm -hmm. is it only about money making or is there another level again and mm -hmm. i personally you know, we, we, we are looking at another level again. And, and you know, we again, we've got the data. The World Economic Forum is, you know, we, we've got plenty coming out from there now. Mm -hmm. World Health Organization, we've got plenty coming out from there. We only need to look at their changing definitions, don't we? They're changing definitions of pandemic. You know, they're changing the ballparks, continually changing. Well, they changed the definition of virus in the dictionary. And in, in, uh, no, it was a no, it wasn't virus. It was the the, the um, vaccination. They actually yes. changed that, so they included the mRNA vaccination, yes. even though it's a gene therapy. It's not a traditional right. vaccination under the definition of vaccination. Fauci has continually called these vaccinations. Um, many people parroted him. He also has said these absolutes, like they are safe and effective. Um, that the injuries are rare, which is not true. They're not recognized. I mean, there may be a, a boatload of vax injuries. And we know from the Pfizer document dumps that happen every month in the courts and in, in, in uh, the states, that in fact, Pfizer has acknowledged over 1,200, yeah. right. 12, over 1,200 possible potential injuries. <laughs> so the way to impeach anybody is for fraud and legally is to yeah. use their own documents. And that explained to me, and that was a, that was a red flag of when Pfizer's attorneys came out and said, no, we, we don't want to disclose this until 2076. We'll all be dead by that point. Uh, and then they, they, the judge said no, dump them in the courts. Then they went back the next month and said this is burdensome. And the judge said no, dump them in the courts. So now we're, we're seeing the inside of their dark tunnel. That's right. And it doesn't look so good. No. Because the advertisement, the informed consent that everybody expected to get has really been ripped off the face of Pfizer. Exactly. Then there never was informed consent. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is one of the big beefs that, you know, that, that I've got about this. You know, we, we are told the Australian Immunisation Register says that before any vaccination, we are supposed to gain informed consent. Mm -hmm. Now, an informed, valid 
consent. Now that is impossible to get if you cannot actually tell patients what the real side effects and risks are, which we cannot. We're only, anyone who says it's safe is simply parroting stuff with literally no evidence to back it up. We don't have the manufacturer's inserts, they're blank. So, so we have had nothing that we could actually give informed consent on, and yet we were instructed by APRA that we had to encourage everyone to do this and that it was safe and it was you know, beneficial. How much money do you know has the Australian government rolled out to, to roll, uh, given, distributed to roll out the vaccination shots? I don't actually know the exact figure, but I, I think we might be into billions. It's certainly been a massive amount. I understand that the government has purchased uh, 14 vaccines per person. Mm -hmm. So that's a massive amount of money and a ridiculous number of vaccines. So, uh, so, the, so the government, the leaders who agreed to that. See, I think it's really important for people to know who is sitting at those tables. Not that it's the government without names. Who is making those decisions at the table? Who are the lawyers involved? Who are the government officials involved? Exactly. I mean, I, the, to me, that is the most important question because you need to put a name on a face for an action taken on a floodgate like this. That's right. I think we we definitely can put on that put the names of the the health ministers. That's that's very clear. And we have one one particular. So there again, when we look into these, we find that we have connections with them back into World Economic Forum, back into Davos, back into mm -hmm. all all of these other names that you start hearing about are popping up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And. Uh, just very interesting connections everywhere. Well, Robin, I would like to have you back as you guys get more into the weeds in Australia, because I'm certain that as I take a, as we take a look at this at CDM Media, that in fact the patterns are there internationally, yeah. and it's all going to you know it's it's going to be a long haul. But yeah. I am I'm firmly convinced this is a winnable war to expose yeah. all the warts that are involved in this. I can't thank you much for joining us tonight. And thank please you for back. being. It's just been an honor to be here. And yes, I'd love to be back.